all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fossone. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com. We also want to thank our latest national sponsor, Veteran Lending Council. It is a community dedicated to educating lenders, realtors, and veterans on the VA Home Loan Benefit Program. You can check them out on Facebook and other social media outlets. We have a couple of really interesting interviews for you today with a couple of veterans. One is Chris Vadu, who's the CEO of Sheets Laundry Club. I think you'll find not only the business that he started and why he started it, but his burn pit uh, exposure um, somewhat interesting. And then I'll fill in a little after that about the recently passed PACT Act to provide some help to those exposed to toxic fumes from burn pits and some other uh, good things in there for Agent Orange veterans. And then we're going to talk about VA health, uh, I should say VA life insurance. You may or may not know VA insures a whole bunch of different types of folks with life insurance. Uh, and Brett Fenley is going to talk to us about that um, as a veteran and as an insurance agent. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today uh, a U.S. Army veteran who's got a cool business, Chris Vaduz. We're going to talk about his military career, his helicopter flying, uh, and then we're going to talk about Sheets Laundry Club. Chris, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me and the opportunity to uh, speak with you. Well, this is uh, we're going to start with the military stuff, if you don't mind, and and uh, how a nice kid like you ended up in the uh, U.S. Army for 20 years and flying sure. helicopters. Give it, give us the thumbnail. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I grew up in a small town in northern northern California. Um, at, at 18, I my, my brother went to college when he turned 18, and I, I don't think at 18 I was. I was ready for college, but I was definitely ready to, to get out of that small town. Um, so I, I joined uh, as a military police officer in, in 1996. Um, I did that for about six years, made it to E6. wasn't really my cup of tea. Uh, I have the utmost respect for law enforcement. I, I just I didn't enjoy the, the constant night shift. It wasn't my cup of tea to, 
to, to be up all night driving around. So um, through that process, I got kind of the education I needed and uh, put in a, a flight packet for Warrant Officer Candidate School. was fortunate enough to get picked up. And in 2001, um, headed down to Fort Rucker, Alabama, and uh, transitioned into aviation and spent the remaining 14 years of my career flying Blackhawks. Well, uh, you've got to talk about Fort Rucker because uh, here on Veterans Radio, we love uh, helicopter pilots. As I mentioned earlier to you, my partner, Dale Throneberry, was a chief warrant officer and flew helicopters in Vietnam. So I'm sure you enjoyed your time at Mother Rucker. Everybody does, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mother Rucker's fun. I was actually just there a few weeks ago, believe it or not. Um, but, yeah, I, I, as I was an MP, um, how, I, how I got the bug, um, I had an opportunity to just do a kind of a fun flight, if you would. Um, we were doing some medevac practice. Uh, I think it was just a, an E2 or an E3. Um, and at the end of that, they gave everybody a little flight around the uh, parade field there at Fort Carson. Um, and, and it just really changed my perspective on um, what I wanted to do with my, my life and my career. I just thought it was so cool to, to sit in the back seat and see those guys fly that helicopter. Um, so... Um, no different than business today. I, I figured out, you know, that was, that was a changing point for me. So, um, I think I went down to the education center and tried to figure out what those guys had to do to become pilots and, um, spent the next three or four years in the army kind of, um, chasing those dreams to prepare myself for the AFAST and kind of meet the other qualifications. And, um, it was kind of off to the races after that. Um, Fort Rucker for me was a blast. I'm not going to lie. I had fun. It was, uh, I was there for, I think, about 18 months the first time for flight school and um, long, exhausting days Monday through Friday. But we definitely uh, made a lot of trips to Florida and um, enjoyed the weekends. So it was uh, definitely an interesting um, duty station. Well, I think I saw that you ended up with over 2,000 hours of flying time, um, that you became a chief instructor pilot, uh, that you had tours really all over the world. Um, in, including uh, into some of the hot spots. Uh, talk to us about some of your overseas assignments. Yeah. Um, so as a helicopter pilot, I was I was in Iraq, and I also lived in uh, Germany for I think about two and a half years. Um, getting getting to fly Europe uh, in itself was was an amazing um, opportunity because you you travel all over Europe from you know down to Italy on up to Copenhagen and, and all over. So. Um, the experience there was unreplaceable. I mean, it was a paid vacation in Europe for two and a half years. Um, probably one of the most enjoyable two and a half years of my life. Um, Iraq, not quite, uh, as enjoyable. It was definitely an experience and an opportunity. Um, as a pilot, it definitely, you know, it tests your skills. Um, you don't fly in a combat zone anywhere near like you fly, um, in the civilian world. Um, kind of the FAA rules in a, in a sense are, uh, kind of out the window. You're flying more for survival mode, which makes the flying fun. Um, so it, it really grows you as a pilot, um, and it makes you not second guess um, your decisions. You have to be quick to react to whatever that that decision is, and 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 stick with it and make it work. So it, it really it grows you as a pilot. It grows you as a human, um, and and it was a, a phenomenal experience. But I. I Definitely wouldn't want to make a 20-year career out of Iraq either. You know, when we've talked to helicopter pilots, and as I say, we talked to a lot of them, because of the way in which you fly, 
you get a whole different perspective on the ground, on the theater, on what's going on than you do if you're in a judge zipping by, right? Um, and, and that different perspective had to really come into play when you were in Iraq, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously I've never flown a jet, um, but yes, they're they're in and out, coming typically from outside a combat zone, and in many cases, um, into the the combat zone and then back out of it when they're done. Um, I, I think as a helicopter pilot, you're definitely more in tune um, with the guys on the ground. You're you're often their their first line of either defense uh, or rescue, and you've got to understand that um, in many situations, especially air assaults, that um, you're the only opportunity for those guys sometimes to get out of a hostile environment. And if you can't get in there and get them, um, they've got to fight their way out of it. And that's not always an option for those guys on the ground. So you, you really do understand that, you know, me getting in there and getting these guys out, you know, is their, their life's dependent on it. Their, their wife's and kids' lives are, are dependent on their parents. Um, so there's a lot of people that are affected by you getting in there. Um, and, and helping these guys in a time of need. So it's it's definitely a job that, you know, I never took lightly, and I understood that um, how dependent the, the ground troops can be on the helicopter pilots in a very, you know, hostile environment. And we're talking to Chris Fadu, who's a U.S. Army retired warrant officer uh, who spent 16 years or 14 years, something like that, flying Blackhawk uh, helicopters. Chris, remind our listeners sort of what the role of the Sikorsky Blackhawk is in uh, theater. Yeah, I mean it's it's got a, a few few main roles. Uh, medevac being one of them. It's uh, the main medevac um, source for for the combat zone. Um, I did not do medevac uh, in Iraq. I was an air assault um, pilot. So it's the other main role is is taking, you know, soldiers into a combat zone and dropping them off um, for whatever, you know, whatever mission they have within that, that region. Um, and typically our job is to return and pick them up as well. Um, and that's, again, that's just an air assault here. You're taking them in and, and bringing them out so they can execute a mission. So those are the two main jobs of, of a Black Hawk UH-60 when you're deployed. And, and I want to transition a little bit to some of um – well, let me reference it this way. So while we're talking about his skills as a pilot, uh, because of your length of service, you had a number of responsibilities uh, relative to budgeting and uh, personnel and uh, what I'll call the business end of uh, training and instructing as well with uh, Blackhawks, uh, if I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when even in a combat role, you know, I, I wasn't a, an instructor pilot in Iraq, um, but I, I was a safety officer and a, an instructor pilot and also a standardization pilot. Um, all of those come with different roles. You know, I started out as a safety officer was my first track. Um, so, you know, it was just collecting analytical data to keep um, and, and doing the data that was required for the command to make sure that we were operating within um, the SOP safely and we weren't conducting missions that, um, were not within our, our SOP that weren't safe for the company. Um, so you, you, at the end of the day, it's, it's making sure the guys are doing things the correct way. Um, as I transitioned to an instructor pilot later, um, I, I spent most of my days, you know, really just um, teaching the guys, whether it was out of flight school or the senior guys, giving them their annual evaluations. 
um, just making sure that they were fit to fly, safe to fly, and, and you know, just doing doing the basic evaluations. Um, as a standardization pilot standing up a, a, a combat aviation brigade at Fort Carson, um, we spent a lot more of our time writing those SOPs, working with commanders, figuring out what assets we had, what resources we had, how many helicopters we had, um, you know, how many pilots we had. It was it was all part of standing up a, a brand new aviation brigade. Now I'm gonna um, I'm gonna tie this in later too because I'm gonna ask this guy like, hey, how did this army grunt think he could run a business? But I want our listeners to hear what he's done while in the Army, and this is going to tie back into running a successful business. But before sure. I get to Sheet Laundry Club, Chris, um, I know you, your wife is uh, also an uh, Army veteran, and we should give some uh, props to the women who serve. Uh, tell us a little Absolutely. bit about uh, Lorian. Yeah, so Lorian and I, we, we met in the Army. Um, we met probably about 10 years before we actually got married. Um, she was serving as a military police canine handler. I had met her while I was a, a military police officer. Um, I actually left for Fort Rucker. We were both stationed at Fort Sill at the time. I left for Fort Rucker, Alabama for flight school. She stayed at um, Fort Sill. We kind of went uh, along our separate ways um, for a better part of 10 years. Um, and I was stationed up in Alaska and I, you know, social media, I happened to see that she was on there and um, we kind of connected and we were really good friends prior. Um, there was never any dating or relationship. Um, but I happened to be going to a conference um, down south while I was in Alabama and she was going to be in that area. We kind of connected, hung out, um, revisited and she had went out, she got out, got her degree, became a veterinar- veterinarian technician. Um, and just one thing led to another and we just uh, continued to stay in touch. And the next thing I know, we were making long distance trip between, you know, Flagstaff, Arizona and Alaska. And, um, you know, several years later, we, we got married and had kids and, um, life is, life has been good. And that's great. And, and as I say, we should always give our props to our women veterans who don't get enough recognition for what they do for the country. Absolutely. One, I agree. One of the things that you experienced over in Iraq though, um, uh, again, ties in a little bit to the business uh, you, you're, you're in today, and that is seeing the burn pits and the trash in the cities and just sort of the everything gets thrown in the fire, resulting in some sort of, you know, black, smoky haze. Um, tell us about that experience while you were going through it and how it sort of shaped you both physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's 4 million-plus veterans, um, today, and, and unfortunately this doesn't include Vietnam, I believe it's just the, uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan um, suffer lasting effects from the burn pits um, overseas. Um, if you don't know what the burn pits are, which I, I think everybody listening here does, it's just a you know, football field size burn pits where you know, the U.S. Is, is burning all the trash overseas rather than hauling it out of there. Um, and in some of the larger cities, you would see the, the cities burning it as well, but uh, a majority of that was was you know, the U.S. military burning it. Um, as a pilot, you know, if you kind of picture, you know, black smoke goes up and then, you know, about a thousand feet or so, the wind starts to, to carry it left or right. Um, you know, that's where we spent a majority of our day was, was flying through where that smoke was, was at. Um, you know, we actually used burn pits as checkpoints at night because you could see them from, you know, 10 miles away. Um, so it gave you a good, a good reference because they burn 24 seven. Um, 
we joked while we were in Iraq that we were all going to get lung cancer from, from the burn pits, and it was kind of the running joke. Um, the reality is we got back. For me, um, I got back, and, you know, you don't run a lot when you're in Iraq, so you got back, and I struggled to to run as well as I had um, prior to deploying. At first, I just thought it was being out of shape for a year, uh, but I never did get the two-mile run time down to where it was prior. Um, you know, I was I was – always great at PT tests and now I was pushing just to, to make my run minimum run time. So had a lot of tro- trouble breathing um, while I was running and, and later, you know, I started going to the doctor trying to figure out why I was, um, you know, coughing and, and having breathing issues. Um, and, and over time we did, you know, we've really learned to understand that it was a lot of the dioxins um, that was probably in all the, the plastic water bottles that we were drinking out of that were being burnt on a daily basis that were, were in that smoke. Um, and inhaling that really um, messed up my lungs permanently. So that that was, to your point, kind of what gave me the the drive to to create a, a plastic free business model. Well, uh, I'll get to that uh, momentarily. Um, if but you just triggered something that I, I think probably our veteran radio listeners are thinking about, and and that it makes sense to them that pilots are th- flying through this stuff. Uh, even as it tries to disperse in the air, but um, did did the the military did the army discharge you under any sort of medical uh, um, discharge, or did VA recognize what you were experiencing? Like, hey man, my lungs don't work the same way. I can't get back to my run times. How how did that play out for you? Yeah, so I, I'm actually one of the fortunate. Yes, um, the VA did recognize. Um, um, because they were all documented prior to my retirement. I, I wasn't medically retired, um, but they did uh, recognize the lung damage that I have occurred, and I do have a disability for that. Um, so uh, obviously compensated for it, which, you know, doesn't fix the issue at hand. Um, but, yes, I, I was compensated for it. Unfortunately, um, you know, it, it's been very much a challenge for, you know, say the, the, the kid that was in for four years that got out and two years later started experiencing issues. Um, those are, are, are the kids that are struggling, and we've actually worked with, um, you know, I've talked to Senator Tillis this year here in North Carolina. Um, we've worked with John Stewart from from Apple TV, um, Burn Pitch 360, we, you know, Grunt Style Foundation and Grunt Style. We've worked with them um, this year to, to help get a bill passed, which did just recently get passed through the Senate, the PAC Act, and that's to help um, these veterans that are suffering, you know, permanent lung damage, um, get the, get the benefits and the medical care that they're entitled to that the government, um, for years has turned a blind eye on. So that, that's been a big, huge step for us in 2022, um, getting that, that passed. So these veterans that, that have much more severe issues than I do are, are getting the medical treatment they deserve. Yeah. We've been trying to shine a light on this in veterans radio for some time now. Um, and, it seems like there's the momentum here in 2022 to get this done and not let these veterans languish as so many have on toxic exposure kind of things, whether it be Camp Lejeune or going back to Agent Orange or mm-hmm. any any of the uh, toxic base issues. So um, uh, really do appreciate your continued working on this area. And again, when Absolutely. I was... When I was kind of looking into uh, Chris Vadu and going, yeah, do I talk to Sheets Laundry Club, the CEO, that part of the story from a veteran's radio standpoint and our, our listeners 
is really interesting and and we appreciate all that you're doing it also kind of springboarded you into what to do when you retired um, which is uh, Sheets Laundry Club tell us about that yeah so Sheets Laundry Club um, you know and and people I I say it was a bonehead idea in the beginning it it wasn't necessarily a bonehead idea Um, but my wife and I you know we've been for, for several years before this, we've really tried to rid single-use plastics out of our life, our home. Um, whether it's, you know, we got in the lake, we take canned water. Um, and, and now I've got friends that take canned water because they, they know my story. So we're, we're trying to make a change, whether it's, um, you know, through, through some of the um, positions that I've been able to do through this business, working with some celebrities, or it, it's changing it locally. But Sheets Laundry Club was an idea that we had um, to figure out how to, you know, kind of turn the tide on plastic pollution, no pun intended. Um, Laundry space, you know, accounts for almost a billion um, laundry jugs a year in the U.S. alone. Um, And I think less than uh, 91% of them are actually recycled, so the rest wind up in landfill or or oceans. Um, Or they're sent to third-world countries as we 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 pay other countries to take our plastic trash and they burn it. Um, so we're still creating the same problems. We're just not doing it at home. Um, and so, so the goal was to figure out how to create a product line um, and kind of reinvent the wheel so we can, you know, have a, have the same efficacy in a product that cleans, um, but not in the same package. Um, so ultimately that's what Sheets Laundry Club is, is we're a, a plastic-free laundry company. We've learned how to take the liquid out of laundry detergent by dehydrating it um, and putting them in a postcard-sized sheet format that goes in a box um, that works just as well as liquid detergents, um, but it doesn't come with the 500-year lasting effects of the bottle that it came in. Um, and now you guys, you guys started this in um, I think it was 2019, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've officially launched in, in December of 2019. Um, several years before that, it, it took several years of planning to kind of um, work the kinks out of it, figure out how to make a product that worked, find a manufacturing company that could do the product and do it to scale that could um, meet the demands we needed. Um, but yeah, December 19 was when we, you know, we were just working out of a, my business partner's garage. Um, just to see uh, if we could make a successful go of it. So you, I think you got out of service. I didn't ask you this earlier, but I think you got out of service in about 2016. Yeah, I did. I actually February of 2016 was my retirement date. Yeah. So, so this goes back to the question, which is always asked: How the hell did this army vet think he could launch a business like this? What experiences did, did he have? And we talked a little bit about all this management experience and budgeting and personnel and safety and standard procedures that that you, you were getting a business education you just didn't know it in the army. Yeah. But but again, yeah. talk a little. I, I'm kind of real curious about this period between 2016 and 2019 because it you know today you're an overnight success. But let's face it, there was a lot of hard times, a lot of financial times, a lot of technical times, manufacturing problems. Talk to us about that period. Yeah. Um, so I, I was fortunate enough. My wife is an artist. Um, so when we retired, we moved out to North Carolina. I actually have a, a buddy that owned a NASCAR team. So um, we kind of came out here, and I, I helped with his team for a little bit on the marketing side. Um, kind of really realized it wasn't wasn't for me. 
Um, but my wife's an artist, so we opened a little brick-and-mortar business here in Mooresville, North Carolina, called Painting with a Twist. Um, it was a paint-and-sip studio. We did that for about four years. Um, that's really where I got a lot of the, the business experience, maybe on the civilian side, whether it's understanding QuickBooks, how to, you know, build out your chart of accounts, work, you know, work with a CPA, um, whether you, it was merchant accounts, you learned, you learned about cash flow, didn't you? I learned about cash flow and I learned how, how hard it was, um, in the brick and mortar space. Cause we worked for four years, um, seven days a week. And, you know, my, my son was basically raised by single parents cause one of us was always working. Um, and, and through those four years, you know, you, you really just, we, we struggled just to, to keep the power bill paid and, and the, and the payroll paid for employees. We weren't making money. Um, so my wife was ready for me to go get a job flying somewhere. Um, and that last <laughs> year, that last year of the paint studio was kind of when I came up um, with the idea for, for Sheets Laundry Club. Um, and nobody, and I'll tell you, nobody thought it was a good idea. Everybody thought I was crazy. Um, and I think a lot of the military um, experience background really helped me persevere through that because when enough people tell you no eventually um you'll understand that you got to quit it's a bad idea and maybe i'm hard-headed maybe i'm i'm ignorant but i I didn't take no for an answer so we spent you know a better part of 18 months or so um building a product a plan um and then kind of taking it to a couple investors that that you know believed in um, what we were doing and, and the product that we had, and they saw the success. Um, that they, they 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 saw success in what we were doing, um, and that's that's kind of when it came to fruition. And I think it really took me uh, a solid year before I, I actually had people that kind of realized, hey, maybe this might work out for this guy because everybody else thought it was the the dumbest idea since sliced bread. Yeah, and and you do have to tackle a problem and not sort of say, well. Geez, my buddy, my brother-in-law thinks it's dumb. I should stop. But again, that's some of that army training, right? You got to be hard-headed enough to say, "I'm still going to make the objective, even if there's something in my way." And and you mentioned manufacturing. Find this one thing to have the idea. You had the idea, but somehow you have to manufacture this. How'd you how'd you go about finding somebody who could uh, grab your vision and turn it into a product? Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest part. First and foremost, it's, it's nobody's ever, I, I tell every entrepreneur, nobody's going to see your vision. Nobody's going to understand your vision. Um, you know, in a meeting today with, with our COO, we still talk vision, um, and, and where we want to go with this company and what we got to do because again, your vision's only as good as, as the information you share with others. Um, but it was, it, it was definitely a challenge to find it. There's a, a few manufacturing facilities um, around the world that, that have the technology to make this type of product. Um, we've worked with every one of them, um, and we finally found one um, that, that had the, the best pricing but also the best product. You know, we, we went back and forth for six months and spent, you know, north of $20,000 just getting samples, uh, you know, 50 laundry detergent sheets here, 50 there. Um, just to, to do the testing and send it to laboratories in Ohio that do laundry testing. Um, so, you know, again, and that's one of, of 43 products. You have to do that, um, with, with every product within your line. You know, we, we sell scent boosters. Um, and there's one manufacturing company that fills those in the United States because they own the patent on it. 
Um, but the difference is their machinery is, is set up to fill plastic tubes. It's not set up to fill bags or cardboard tubes. So we had to develop a cardboard tube that would fit within their machining um, specifications. So uh, you kind of have to build your product line to work in a capacity where things are made to work with plastic um, and kind of re-replicate the design of that 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 product um, in, in a different form. And for us, it's cardboard tubes or the deodorant, it's, it's cardboard tubes. So that, that, that's always been a, a challenge. It's the hardest part about being in this space is there's no manufacturing facilities that are really set up to just um, do what they do on a daily basis without the use of plastic. So we get creative and make um, the packaging fit what their machinery is capable of working with. And we're talking to Chris Vadu, who's the um, founder CEO of Sheets Laundry Club, um, which you can find at sheetslaundryclub.com and look at their products. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But I want to go back to that point where you had a brick-and-mortar facility and all the things that went along with that. Tell us how that experience about brick-and-mortar fit into the type of business you wanted to go forward with with Sheets Laundry Club. Um, I, I, I think, I, I don't know that it fit in. I think it gave me a, an understanding of, of how to run a business and it, we didn't make enough money. So I couldn't outsource anything. Every, every aspect of it, whether it was, was doing your taxes, you know, hiring the people, doing the payroll. Um, we did everything in house because we couldn't afford to outsource it. Um, so once I, I transitioned into this business, we did the same thing. We were able to internally do everything ourselves. Um, and I gained that experience through that brick and mortar, um, which allowed us to really manage our cash flow in the beginning so that we could, you know, not, not pay CPAs and, and accountants and payroll services to do everything. Um, cause cash is king inside a business. And if you can't manage your cash flow, um, you, you can't grow, you can't move forward, you can't order product, you can't make payroll. Um, so I, I think that was the biggest benefit of, of owning a business. Um, and I, I think it also gave me a lot of experience to um, managing people. You know, I, I'm always a, a lead by example person. Um, and we did that at painting with a twist, but it's different. It's You can't lead a, in the civilian world. Um, a person the way you would lay, lean on an, an E2 to get a job done. You know, um, when five o'clock hits, they're leaving whether it's done or not, and you're picking up the mess. Um, that was a definite challenge for me coming from the Army where, you know, we weren't leaving until the mission was complete. Um, the real world, the, the mission's complete when the, the eight-hour shift is over. So it really, and, and that still translates today with Sheets Laundry Club, you know, so, um, people will stay, but you're you're paying overtime. So it um, it sheets though. I can I walk into my grocery store and buy these? You can't. Well, it depends on where you live. Um, we are in all the Harris Teeter locations, um, which is 262 big box stores um, in seven states here on the East Coast. Um, we'll be in all the Meyer locations um, this August, uh, and looking like we'll probably be up in Wegmans uh, as well later this year. So let's talk about the products because it started with this idea that, look, at all this laundry detergent, we all got big bottles, uh, you know, on the shelf somewhere that we use and, and, and then throw out because what else are you going to do with it? Um, sure. Uh, and it started with just uh, laundry detergent sheets, but you've got, uh, you know, a variety of different things that kind of fit this vision of 
let's get the plastic out of things that we use every day, every week, uh, really out of the, this is, these are household products. So tell us, tell us about, uh, some of the products and, uh, uh, some of the expansion that's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the laundry sheet was first and foremost, like you said, and the concept behind that really came from a, a, a short memory I had. And I was in station in Korea in 1999 to 2000. Um, and in Asia, they had a kind of a laundry detergent sheet. It was a dryer sheet where they um, put the laundry detergent over it. So you threw it in the wash and it just, the dryer sheet transitioned over the dryer. Um, it didn't work um, at all, in my opinion, but kind of gave me the, the idea because, you know, we're, we started out as an e-commerce business and you can't ship liquid and be competitive in the laundry space because of the weight. Um, so I knew if we wanted to get into the laundry space on e-commerce, we had to figure out um, how, to, how to be able to ship effectively and um, stay competitive with, uh, with other products in the space. So that, that's, that, that's really where the vision for the laundry sheet came from. Obviously, it's uh, 180 degrees different than, than what I used in 1999. Um, technology's grown a lot since then, but it, it gave me the idea um, to, to research that and figure out where that laundry sheet had, had evolved to um, over, over the course of 20 years. Um, as of today, you know, we've, we've expanded the product line from, you know, like I said, scent boosters. We've got um, plant-based dryer sheets where we, we no longer, if you didn't know a dryer sheet, all of that little fabric that it's on is actually woven plastic. Um, so we now use a cellulose plant-based material that we put everything on. Um, so it's completely compostable and biodegradable. Um, we've entered into the, the kitchen space as well. We've replaced the Dawn dish soap with solid dish soaps um, to dishwasher tablets to um, soap trays to coconut scrubs instead of the, the cleaning pads that have microplastics in it. Um, we've got into the, you know, the personal care, whether it's um, body soaps or shampoo bars, deodorants, things like that. So we're slowly just trying to build a brand that can transition some of the, the cleaning and, and self-care products that, that we're using on a daily basis. Um, we're, we're transitioning those out of the home with products that, that meet the same efficacy, um, that are price competitive with everything on the market um, that make an impact. You know, the goal and part of my vision statement with people is we need to create products that work that don't require a lifestyle change and they don't break the bank. Um, so that's that's always the first and foremost. You know, going green or going clean, um, as they call it, is, is very expensive in, in many instances, and it's very um, life-changing for, for some people to do. And um, everything we've developed doesn't require you necessarily to read uh, an instruction manual on how to use it or, or how to do it. So you're, you're getting the same type of product. You're just making an impact without actually having to um, to learn how to do it. Yeah, and I think most of us would choose a uh, more friendly uh, product uh, and get some of the plastics out uh, if it was cost-effective. You didn't feel like you were, you know, being uh, charged up thirty percent because of it. And certainly at a time when uh, we have, unfortunately, raging inflation, um, these are price point decisions people have to make. Is your yeah. business primarily e-commerce at this point, uh, Chris, or uh, is it uh, going transitioning from e-commerce over to uh, the brick and mortar provision where you can get it into the big boxes? Yeah, I mean we're we're primarily e-commerce. So we've we've started out e-commerce, 
Um, you know, we started out, you know, shipping five orders a day to 10 orders a day to several thousand orders a day. Um, so, you know, we're still shipping out, you know, at north of 50,000 orders a month right now, um, through, through our facilities here. Um, but we are definitely focused on, on retail. And at the end of the day, it's, it all comes down to the vision of, of making a change, um, and turning that tide on plastic pollution. So, um, retail locations give us that, um, ability to do the same thing. So, um, the, the 2022 focus was, was, you know, expanding the brand into retail. Um, and, and we're, we're doing that nicely. We think we should be in about 750 um, major big box retailers by the end of the year. And, um, you know, hope to be closer to, to 3000 by the end of 2023 with a continued focus to grow the e-com brand. Yeah, I think it's just a great option for folks, uh, the, sure. the e-commerce brand. And, and, uh, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, or ask you to talk about your Shark Tank experience for yeah. uh, Sheets Laundry Club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did. We um, it, it was never never in the plans when we started Sheets Laundry Club, uh, and it, it's kind of ironic because I've watched Shark Tank um, since its conception, probably I think 13 seasons ago. Um, I think I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Just you know, didn't really make the transition till retirement. Um, but I've always loved it and I've always wondered how people come up with these quirky ideas to get on a TV show. Um, so the last July, actually, we went out and filmed a, an episode. Um, I think we were the first company of season 13 to actually film, um, and, and went on that, um, show. And it, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, it was, um, something I think I, I'm honored to say I did once, but I don't think I would like to do twice. <laughs> um, I think once was enough uh, of that experience. Um, but you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your business. Um, you learn a lot. I mean, it, it, it took a lot of intestinal fortitude for me to get up there um, in front of five, you know, celebrities that are um, super wealthy. I, I think a lot of people don't realize the 30 or 40 cameras and, and 100 people that are behind the scenes that are also watching you um, while you do that. Um, it, it's truly uh, kind of as you see on TV. Um, I didn't have an opportunity to sit down with a shark or meet a shark. The first time I saw their faces um, was when those double doors opened, just just like it's on, you see on TV. Um, and you're out there for uh, obviously a much longer duration. Um, they edit it down um, to hopefully some of the better parts that um, make your brand look successful and, and make you look successful. Um, but, but the overall experience was, was huge for us. It gave us, um, a huge platform, um, uh, to, to grow the business. Um, you know, we've, we've had, you know, Fox News, New York Times, um, Fortune Magazine, just a, a lot of opportunity, um, to continue to tell our story and, and grow our brand, um, post Shark Tank. So I, beyond thankful for the opportunity to, to, to get a chance to do that because it was definitely not something I had ever envisioned doing in my life. Chris, thanks Absolutely. for thanks for spending some extra time with uh, Veterans Radio today and giving us some insight. You bet. I appreciate the opportunity and thank you. And um, you know, just as veterans say, never never give up and continue to fight the good fight. And um, I appreciate your guys' support and have a wonderful afternoon. Part of Chris's story is really about his. Exposure to burn pits, uh, toxic fumes, and some uh, realization that 
burning plastics is a crazy thing can we can we find a way around uh dumping so many so much plastic jugs from laundry detergent into um either burn pits or just uh, landfill so we'll come back uh, after a few words from sponsors to to talk about uh, the, the recently passed pact act military veterans touch everyone's life i'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran a close friend relative maybe it's you Even the toughest of us sometimes need help, but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. As I said, I wanted to tie the recently passed PACT Act, which is stands for Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxic Act of 2022, or Honoring Our PACT Act, as the Senate bill was known. Um, we're going to have a program on this in Veterans Radio uh, later in the month. But I want to point out to people that this expands and extends eligibility for VA health care for veterans with toxic exposures, and it provides some assistance to uh, Vietnam veterans, Gulf War veterans, and certainly post-9-11 era veterans. There are now uh, 20 new presumptive conditions for burn pit and other toxic exposures, and it adds more presumptive exposure locations for Agent Orange and radiation. And it requires VA to provide a toxic exposure screening to every veteran enrolled in VA health care. It's pretty comprehensive. Uh, as I said, we'll have another program on it, but it kind of relates to a little bit of what uh, and how Sheets Laundry Club got started, so we wanted to bring that up. Now we're going to do a short segment on some VA insurance that I think you might find of interest. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Brett Fenley. Brett is a uh, Michigan Air Army National Guard uh, veteran, but I've got him on for his uh, civilian expertise in the insurance area. Brett, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Well, let's start with this. How did a nice guy who's, uh, you know, behaving himself and not getting in too much trouble end up spending six years in the Michigan Army National Guard? Uh, well, I well, that's kind of part of it. Uh, part of it is a little uh, goofing around, not going to college, and not you know doing the right things to start. And then I thought, you know, I gotta gotta figure my my life out. And uh, my buddy had joined the National Guard, and I thought, you know what, that might sound, that sounds like the the right path for me as well. So uh, I think I'll I'll, uh, I'll try it out and see how it works out. Well, and it did work out. As I said, you spent six years in, in the Guard, uh, rose to the rank of sergeant, and uh, Uncle Sam was kind enough to send you over to a uh, overseas deployment in 2010. Tell us about it. Yeah, I did uh, convoy security with the 119th out of uh, Battle Creek and uh, uh, – Where's Augusta? I guess uh, we had a uh, yeah. We did convoy security. Went from uh, uh, Virginia into uh, Camp Adder over in Iraq. So spent a couple of days there, and then I come back. Uh, following a couple of days later, we'd always they'd send us back, and we'd pick up new trucks and bring them back. 
So this was bouncing between Kuwait and Iraq, I take it? Yes, yep. And and how long did you spend over there? Uh, we were there, uh, it was a year, I was on deployment for a year, I think we were in Iraq for you know, that, that nine months or whatever it is after Mob. <clears throat> Ten and, months. Yeah, and everybody says, oh, that was fun, I don't ever want to do that again. Um, <laughs> you, uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I actually I actually volunteered to go again to Afghanistan, but uh, they they cut the mission short, so no worries. But I I actually really enjoyed deployment. So, and, and after that point in time, you came back and picked up your uh, bachelor's uh, in business administration from Eastern Michigan University, and you also worked uh, in private security for a while. I did, yeah. I was a uh, I was a private security officer for uh, the Ann Arbor EPA uh, over uh, in uh, the North Side of Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, and I was their lead officer. They called us kind of like the head of security ish. You know, you run the day to day operations, uh, monitor the security guards, and then uh, in 2017, I left there, went back, and uh, I ended up graduating from Eastern in 2019 with my. Uh, uh, bachelor's in business administration and you transitioned into uh insurance with uh, farm bureau insurance tell us a little bit about that uh transition i was looking for a uh i wanted to go into sales and i like helping people um so i kind of just decided you know that this would be a good avenue for me to get to that helping people um and uh it's something i can it's farm bureau is a company where we, we sit down and talk to people rather than uh, some of your larger corporations that do insurance. Uh, we like to have that personal you know, interaction with each client. Um, so I kind of like that, and I can teach people about insurance. Is, you know, I get opportunities like this to sit down and talk to lots of people on the radio and wherever else this will be posted at. Um, and I can, I can inform people of their best options and uh, you know, help them through the, uh, the you know, smaller, finer details of insurance that, that not a lot of people recognize or get into all that often. Well, many of us know we should have life insurance <laughs> and uh, don't do anything. We are not properly insured and we don't find out until it's too late. And I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit, but what caught my eye a month or so ago is that uh, VA, the Department of Veterans Affairs, is going to have a new life insurance policy for veterans um, and it's called VA Life, and it's going to come about. Uh, it's not open uh, for enrollment yet, as I understand it. It, it comes about January first of twenty twenty three. But, but it, it, it triggered for me this whole idea that we as veterans uh, uh, had some insurance when we were in service. We some of it we paid for and let lapse. Some of it uh, covered us if certain things happened. But here was a new opportunity to maybe. Uh, get uh, some uh, hopefully appropriate low-cost uh, insurance. But let's back up again. What, what do you tell folks, uh, Brett, uh, when they come in and sit down with you at the Fenley Insurance Group in Ann Arbor and say, I don't know if I, you know, I don't really know if I need uh, life insurance. That's probably how the conversation starts. Most of the time, yes. Um, so the first thing we talk about is, you know, do you have children? Do you, do you have someone that relies on you? Do you it doesn't have to be children. It could be a, a niece or a nephew, or it could be a godchild or a grandchild. You know, is there someone that's going to rely on you and there's going to be trouble if you're gone early? Um, and almost always, unless they're a single person who's 
parents are no longer around. They, you know, they're, they're literally the only one they know in their family and they don't have any kids. Um, they're almost always saying, Oh yeah, absolutely. My son, my daughter, my nephew, my grandchild, my godson. Um, you know, I'm expecting to send them to college or I'm expecting, you know, they're, I'm their parents. So I'm, I'm taking care of them every day. So if I wasn't there, someone else would have to. Um, and then we go into, um, you know, well, what, what of your, what are you leaving behind for them? Um, well, my house is, Oh, do you own your home? No. I said, well, how much do you own your house? Well, we just bought it a couple of years ago. So I said, you probably owe almost the whole loan, right? Um, so your house isn't an asset. It's a liability that you don't own the home. So you might be able to sell it for a small profit, but it's not enough for them to live on. Um, so we go, we, we go into those little, it's those questions that people don't really think about. They think, Oh, I own my car. So well, do you own it outright or do you have a loan? Well, you own it with the bank. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, uh, oh no, the people, that's a lot of people. There's that confusion or that, uh, disconnected. They say, Oh, I own my home. I said, you own your home when you don't have a loan on it. You're not renting. You're correct, but you don't own the home yet because you're still paying the bank for it. Um, so that's not going to be something that's going to be there for your children to take care of or take uh, advantage of that money from you selling your house. Um, so we talk about those different little things, and then we start to get to the, the point of, you know, uh, okay, maybe life insurance is, is, a, is a good play for you right now. Then we go over the different options, the different uh, levels, the different uh, medical uh, that's involved with getting life insurance, and then they make a, an informed decision uh, from there. And it's, I mean, again, this is why you talk to professionals. It can get kind of confusing. Uh, we folks don't deal with it every day, so you start throwing terms around that, that, geez, I'm not sure I know exactly what that means. And that's why you talk to somebody who's an expert, and that's why we're talking to Brett. So, as I said, we saw a new uh, benefit, VA benefit, that was going to come about uh, at the end of the year uh, called, um, uh, Veterans Affairs Life Insurance or VA Life and we thought it was pretty interesting uh, because it'll be open to all veterans 80 years or younger who have a disability rating of 0 to 100% and yeah. and uh, so again when you talk life insurance you're often talking about having to have a medical exam done but if you're on a dis- if you have a disability rating, yeah, you know, you're not going to do so good on the medical exam. So talk, you, I know you've looked at this some. Tell us what you've been able to de- determine that this new uh, VA life insurance benefit's going to be about. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in in my side of this, I would call this end of life planning, a end of life planning policy, because it's only going to be ten thousand to forty thousand. Um, so ten to forty thousand isn't going to send your kids to college, but it can. You know, it can take care of your end of life expenses. So your funeral, your uh, burial plot, or whatever your plans are for after you pass away. Um, so that is great. That's it's, like I said, your, your family's not going to, you know, survive off of this, but they're also not going to be in debt after you pass away, which is which is a great level of of, of life insurance to have. Um, it's affordable um, and it's uh, guaranteed acceptance, like you were saying. So there's no medical, there's no background. It's just you know, you pay your premium. You're going to come in at a at a specific age and they're going to, that's going to be a whole life policy. So that policy is not going to get more expensive every year. It's just going to stay the same. So I think I want to, I want to say it was $11 if you were uh, 18 years old and you had $10,000 of, of whole life insurance. It was $11 a month and that's $11 a month for the rest of your life. Um, so it's, 
it's a good policy, and like I said, it's end of life policy. Um, so let's then, let's talk about. You keep refer you use the term whole life. For those of us who don't work in the field every day, <laughs> explain what whole life is versus say term. So term life insurance is going to have a set start and set end date. So if you have a ten year term from today, you'd have uh, from what's today? This seventeenth. You know, let's say let's say it's the seventeenth of July, uh, twenty twenty two. And we're going to go 10-year term, so you're going to have 17th of July, 2032, that policy will end. Uh, and you won't retain any value from it after it expires. But you'll have the life benefit during those 10 years. Um, and then there's also 20 and 30, and, and, you know, there's all different kinds of term lengths. But term life insurance is, essentially means it starts the day that the policy starts, and it ends at a specific date in the future. Um, whole life insurance is going to mean, oh, and the rates don't change for term either. So those stay the same. The monthly is always the same. It never goes up as you get older. Uh, whole life insurance, same thing. Rates don't change over time. Uh, they stay the same as they were the day one. And whole life insurance means that it starts on the day the policy starts, and it doesn't. The end date is when you pass away. So that's your entire life is encompassed in that policy. It will never cancel. It will never end unless the premiums aren't paid. See, you'd expect an army guy to be able to talk plain English, and he does. So that's when I reached out and said, I need a veteran to talk about this who's in the insurance business, that I was directed to Brett. Brett, thanks. That explains whole life in term, and I think we all get it. Is it, is it your experience by looking at VA life, uh, this end-of-life kind of policy, that's going to come available at the beginning of January uh, 2023, I would expect the premiums to be um, fair, good, maybe even better than market rates if the government's offering it, if the VA is offering it. But I guess I want to check my assumptions. Uh, uh, do you have a reaction to that? They are, for the, who they're offering them for, so they're for disabled individuals, people that have some type of disability through the VA, um, they aren't bad. Brett, thanks for spending some time here today with Veterans Radio to talk about the upcoming new new program, uh, VA Life, that starts uh, at the end of the year, and just about uh, insurance that veterans and their family members ought to be thinking about uh, in general. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to maybe talking to you in the future. You, you got it, Brett. Thank you very much. The whole interview with Brett is up on our podcast on veteransradio.net. Hit on the podcast site. We not only talked about VA life, but we also talked about veterans group life insurance, service disabled veterans life insurance, other insurances that VA has that, heck, I didn't even know about. We can't bring you these programs and these podcasts without the support of our sponsors, including our VSO sponsors. So we want to thank the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettle's chapter, in Ann Arbor, the VFW Graf O'Hara Post in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Erwin Presscorn Post. So we really appreciate that. Dale will be back next week. We're going to have some discussions on the PACT Act that I alluded to earlier. Uh, he's got some other interesting programming that he's working on. Uh, you can always find out what's going on on Veterans Radio by going to veteransradio.net or to our Facebook page on veteransradio.net. We post new podcasts with stories every Tuesday morning, so you'll want to check those out. And some of the programs that end up here on the air are 
you know, somewhat abbreviated from the longer format that we can do. I certainly went much longer on Sheets Laundry Club and talking about burn pit issues. And uh, as I just mentioned, I, I went much longer with Brett Fennelly to talk about uh, different insurance products that VA has and things that uh, the commercial market has available and that you maybe should be thinking of. We want to encourage you to get out and uh, do a few of the uh, vet fests and other veteran-friendly events that are occurring this summer, both uh, uh, really all around the country. So take advantage of those. Get out and meet some of your fellow veterans. Find out what's uh, of interest to them and uh, get get that community spirit going again. If you've got any programming ideas from those discussions, let Dale know. Let uh, myself, Jim Fossone, know. We're always looking to spread the word and tell about uh, issues of interest to veterans and maybe businesses that they've got going or uh, challenges and fights that they need some help on. So, you know, reach out. Let us know what's going on. We're glad to be of assistance in that regards. So until next time on Veterans Radio, you are dismissed.